All right, welcome back to uh, Flake Marie. It's a, a show about Gwent, but so much more. I'm Flake, joined by Shinmiri. And Shinmiri, we had a little bit of a a little bit of an off week. We can call it a vacation, if you will. But I think we just kind of we had things to do. We were out of. The, I was out of the country. You were. God knows. You were where. in the country, actually. <laughs> it was in your country. In my country. <laughs> I was. I was one time zone west. So I was in the, I guess, the central time zone. I was, so, I was much closer to you uh, than I normally am, but I wasn't quite in, in Shinmiri. You're always close to me, Flake. Wow. You're right here. We're, and it's so good because it was the holidays and it was Thanksgiving, and uh, at least for you guys. So I just kind of partaked. I just I was there as a passenger to observe, which was really nice. But uh, I, like I said, I did get me some of these. These are some crispy M&Ms, which we don't really have uh, readily available here in Canada or at least in Toronto. But man, are they good. And they are my addiction. So I bought several bags of these bad boys. And they are now... I was like, oh, these can last me like a, a couple of weeks. No, um, I'm already halfway through. And I've been home for less than... Been home for about 24 hours. And <laughs> this is where we're at. But yeah, welcome, buddy. Thank you. It's good to be back after a week off. And we are on episode seven of Flake Mary, which means this week our title is episode seven, The Vilgaforce Awakens. Yes. Um, we keep knocking it directly out of the park, Shinmiri. Thank you for that again, for playing along with my <laughs> Star Wars-related idiocy when it comes to this podcast. But yes. Uh, and also, uh, we should let you guys know that this episode is sponsored by uh, nothing. It's still... Nothing. Nothing but our hopes and dreams, Shinmiri. That's what sponsors this podcast. Yeah, and we're starting off, as always, with the official Dagon rumor report. Still not a thing. No, it is but, still... Yeah, it's still not a thing. But I, I think some people have their hopes up. Well, I, I wouldn't call it... I mean, I, perhaps it's hopes, because I actually today was roped into a Reddit thread where somebody's, somebody posted something about, like, hey... What's the deal with Dagon? That sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a Seinfeld episode. But like, it's like, what's the deal? Like, what's going on with Dagon? And somebody tagged me in and said, actually, Flake would know. Uh, so he might know some information about it. And of course, I was like, stop it. Just stop. It's not happening. It's not happening. Unless it's part of the 12 cards that we're going to see this weekend. But other than that, it's probably not happening. Um. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, way back machines, we're going to go back in, uh, in Gwent history a little bit, as we always do on the podcast. And four years ago this week, Shinmiri, we got the Faction Challenges, the first ever Faction Challenge. I don't know if you remember oh, these, okay. but they did go through some changes. But man, I, I was not a fan of these. I did not like Faction Challenges either uh, because they just promoted... They basically promoted a stale meta. Everybody was playing the same two or three factions because they wanted to get their quests done. And yeah, it became a three-faction meta. Uh, I, I think they should find a better way to do it so that it doesn't promote such a stale or narrow meta. And then I'd say all for it. Like if people want to support their favorite factions, then sure. Yeah, there was, it was basically, it was like twofold because the first thing about it was that it's like, okay, you get certain prizes or bonuses if your faction wins. So everybody's going to pretty much always choose the best faction if possible. So you had everybody kind of leaning onto one or two different factions. Then they kind of amended it where the prizes were more leaning towards the factions that lost. So then everybody would play mm -hmm. that faction for that the the week or two weeks afterwards was so to get bonus xp um in terms of their progression 
So it was just never good. I understand the spirit of it, and I thought it was an actually, I thought it was a, a, a fairly, you know, decent idea to have people say, all right, you know, like, then they kind of, didn't they do like this faction versus this faction too? Like it was yeah, just like this uh-huh. head to head. Right. Then the head to head was always really lopsided, it was never close. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It was never. And- uh, like it was never balanced it was always like a mm-hmm. lock heavy control faction versus like an engine <laughs> and faction. Not, nr <laughs> yeah it's like oh, Nilfgaard it, versus nr is just the story of yeah it never uh is it i you know i i'm a little bit sad that they never figured out faction challenges because there are a lot of players out there who you know identify with strongly with one faction or just like really love playing this particular faction or they consider themselves like and an NR main or a Scoia'tael main, et cetera, et cetera. And it would be cool to have a, a meta-healthy way of allowing those sort of players to show their allegiance or to show their love for, for their preferred factor. Well, I think that it's, it's, it's quite fascinating because you and I play a lot of shooters, be it Overwatch or Apex or whatever, mm-hmm. and we have our mains. Like There are certain yeah. characters that we just prefer or that we're best at and whatnot, and I think that kind of also transcribes itself to this card game and and i agree it's nice to represent your faction and i think that they kind of maybe were on the right track when they did faction ambassadorship and i thought that that could be cool maybe there was a situation perhaps where and i'm just spitballing here but imagine there was a situation where you kind of were like you had an allegiance to a particular faction that you can choose um kind of like when you're you know not signing up but like when you're on your main profile like you can um, you can customize your favorite card and you can, and whatnot. But what if there was like a, 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 like a cosmetic theme of the board and the cards and the card backs that you, that showed that you were, you know, uh, a Northern realms kind of player, the way that Runeterra does it is that if you want to progress down a particular path, uh, mm-hmm. of a particular faction or, or region, as they're called, you had to choose what region that you're representing. And then all your XP would funnel into that region. It would be kind of interesting if they sort of did a tree where it's, where, it was faction specific and your progression was down that. I don't know. I'm just like, again, I'm just kind of throwing ideas out here. Yeah. Long, long story short is the faction challenge. Did, it did not it, like it, theoretically, it was a, f- a fascinating, uh, like, you know, event that you can pick and choose a faction that you liked and defended its honor, so to speak. But uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in practicality, it basically just created this two pronged meta that never really fit or was happy in them. I'm glad it's gone is all I'm going to say. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. I think, uh, you know, as always, we have your questions around the corner. But before we get to that, we want to discuss the topic for the week, which is the upcoming Gwent Masters Tournament, as well as a little behind the scenes info with how, you know, preparations and production works in yeah. those things. We, we talked about this a little bit. I think somebody asked last week or mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how we prepare for us in terms of tournament preparation. I thought it'd right. be... Kind of fitting, actually, if we just kind of discuss the fact that while we're we're wrapping up season three, season three Masters is going to be uh, occurring in a few days. So why not kind of pull the curtain back and and you know without kind of disrupting any kind of NDA or, or non disclosure agreements or whatnot? <laughs> I mean, whatever we can tell you and still remain gainfully employed, we will. That's kind of the the situation here. And I think you and I actually we started at the same time, right? We um. I mean, depends on, yeah, at the very beginning, my first gig was as an analyst at Challenger number four back in open beta. And I think you were the host at that event in Warsaw at the Skellige Village. 
the Skellige themes challenge. Yeah, what a cool, like, you know, when it comes down to, like, oh, I, I miss having these events in person. I think everybody does. But that was just such a a, a big bang. This was back when there was something like, what, eight to ten different events a year? Mm-hmm. Like that's insane. There was the all the opens plus the there was like eight opens and four challengers and a masters. Like there was an insane amount of events. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Just to think about this in in retrospect. I mean, they, their initial thought process was they wanted a, a challenger themed event for every faction. At the time, there were five, or like four four challengers plus the the main the the world masters would be the final faction that they were going to represent, but. It's, I mean, like season one, had it gone off without a hitch in comparison to what it looks like now would have been completely night and day. Prize pool wise, amount of events, the entire, you know, smoke and mirrors, flash and bang of it all would have been completely different than what we see today. Not that I'm, mm-hmm. I think it's bad now, but man, has it just kind of, it, it's, uh, it's, it's quite different um, now. Very, very different. And, you know, from the LAN events to the, to the online tournaments, and I mean, there's definitely some benefits to going online. Uh, it's easier on the jet lag, right? It's definitely convenient for us. But at the same time, I'm, we're, we're you. I know. I know you and I both. We miss some of that camaraderie, some that in person, you know, evening sure Gwent charades, board games, the, the, uh, the thought of going to karaoke and all that stuff. Is, yeah. Yeah, I like to say the thought of karaoke. I'm actually quite happy that you were the one who was like so are we going and i'm like well everyone bailed and you were still ready to go to karaoke <laughs> this has been an ongoing thing i think for at least for three or four events where i always say okay like we all usually show up on like a wednesday or something like that and i'm like okay thursday night is karaoke night we're gonna go find a karaoke bar somewhere in warsaw and we're all gonna go and like 15 people are all on board and when push mm-hmm. comes to shove and it's like okay meet in the lobby in half an hour it's like are you serious like crickets. yeah crickets. like well you <laughs> sons of bitches all of you so but you were always ready to go you were always the one i was, was i was down to to do the backstreet boys duo with you i know we need to we need like three other to really get the whole thing going but mm-hmm. I mean, we can always recruit some people but uh but yeah i mean the the whole event um itself is a grand production this is what people don't realize um you know for tur- pulling the curtain back on on what these events look like we'll do it at least uh briefly about how it used to be which was we'd fly in a few days earlier and we'd all essentially be in the same hotel and that was part of the charm of it is because we had mm-hmm. about two days to meet everybody competitor and broadcaster alike and for the most part, a lot of the times you're just meeting new people, people that you've either spoken to or know of, but you never really got to sit down and and have a discussion with. Yeah, and what was really cool about uh, Challenger number five was that they allowed like an in-person audience. They allowed fans to come and go get into the CDPR studio and watch the event from live inside the CDPR studio. So a lot of players came and, and hung out with the broadcasters and the players. It was really, really fun. Yeah, no, that was a great experience. Again, it, I, I never want to feel like, like I don't, people are like, you're famous. I'm definitely not famous. I have absolutely not famous. I guess I'm, I can say that I am recognizable within the community. But one of the coolest things was like, I would go and want to watch the games. Like, so after I was done casting one of the matches, I'd go into that studio with mm-hmm. like where the cafeteria is and the food is and like the, the big screen is where everyone's watching. And I'd go and I'd just sit down and like having people be like, are you, hey, you're flake. I'm like, 
yeah, what's up? Like, hey, how's it going? Like, and, and they'd be like, oh my God, it's so cool to meet you. I'm like, it's not really that cool to meet me. I'm like, it's cool to meet like Mike Tyson. Like that's that's cool to meet. Like me meeting Flake, not so much, but there was just so many, that whole experience was always very, I don't want to say, sur- like it's, yeah, it's surreal, I suppose. But it, it was always um, nice because I liked, I just like to meet, I was just as excited to meet people that I recognize from a Twitch chat than who recognize me, you know, for being on, mm-hmm. on screen. Like that to me is something that I, I cherished a lot and I sincerely miss. And that was a special challenger for sure. For sure, yeah. And now that it's online, we still have uh, somewhat of the same process in terms of preparation. Like, but we don't, obviously we don't fly out anywhere, but we have the rehearsal on Thursday where, you know, the broadcasters and the players and the production team get together on Discord, set up, make sure all the mics and audio video stuff is working well, um, go through the run of the show, do a little bit of practicing like transitions or introductions, things like that. Yeah, uh, everything's essentially almost, I don't want to say scripted, but um, because Flake plus scripts never, I don't like, (laughs) I I don't run with scripts. I I run with guidelines. But what the way it is, is essentially like everything is kind of given to us in advance and it's fairly uniform. That's why you you could see that the structure of most of these um, events are, are pretty much, you know, the same from event to event where... It always starts with the countdown video. Then it goes to Berja. Berja introduces us. We welcome you. I, I for the fourteen thousandth time, tell you that there. You know, it's a special tournament that we're playing from home. So, you know, <laughs> you know this is. You know, it's like I. You know, it's been a year and a half that we've been saying that. But yeah. um, that that's what's always fascinating about it. And one of the things that I wanted to I wanted to tell you always, uh, whenever you and I, because we wake up. I mean, for me, it's a lot earlier. Or so for you, it's a lot earlier. But sometimes, like, you're up at, like, 3 a.m. sometimes for these things. Mm-hmm. I'm up at, like, 6. But it's funny because, like, we'll be up on time, you and I. We log into the Matrix. Like, we're, our cameras are on. We're looking okay. We're ready for rehearsal. And then rehearsal's, like, delayed by, like, 15, 20 minutes. And we're like, oh, yeah. like we're like, we're eating pizza. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. Relax, we're eating pizza. I'm like mother of god okay i'm like no problem we're fine and then what's funny is that we're sitting there for like 30 minutes or so and finally we're starting the rehearsal and you and i are going through like going through our lines and like trying to work out some of the kinks and like iron things out and then they're like can you guys hurry it up a bit i'm like what are you talking about (laughs) we've been here for half an hour we want to we're like fine okay we'll do it we'll do it we're okay we're okay that always just kind of like gets at me that we're there early ready to rock and roll Mm -hmm. then they're eating pizza (laughs) And then they're like, yeah, you guys are going to have to hurry it up because uh, we don't want to be here all night. Like, we want to we go home. Yeah. Like, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, uh, that's funny. It, um, it just always got to me. Yeah. And uh, for anybody wondering, um, we so the deck, the players have to submit their deck list on Monday by noon, I believe, is usual deadline. Uh, CET, right? Yeah. And they don't the players don't get to see the list until Friday. So they get about like 24 hours, a little bit more than 24 hours to like scrim the matchups, prepare their lines of play and stuff like that. Um, as broadcasters and analysts, we get the deck lists early, basically once they're submitted and we start talking amongst ourselves in terms of like analyzing the deck list, what's interesting, uh, what potential interactions can we see? And we even like, even recently, uh, in the deck 
when we go over the deck list, they've started highlighting specific cards. So you and I, for example, have in the past gone through the deck list to pick out which specific cards from each list from each player that we want to highlight and spend a little bit more time on and so that they can bring up the asset on screen and uh, while we're talking. And that in itself I find is a challenge because you and I usually dig into it and we always have these like, you know, fairly decent debates where it's like, mm-hmm. like, like eight, 90% of the time we're on the same page, but usually sometimes, because yeah. part of it is also people need to realize it's like, we need to be intriguing to the, 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 you know, veteran players who know all about the decks, but also superficial enough. So those who are casual players will understand why we're highlighting these particular cards. Cause everyone will know that, uh, you know, if you're going to play assimilate, highlighting our toe is like yeah it's the probably the best card in their deck like a hundred percent but why is illusionist important you know or why is mushy mm-hmm. truffle so important in in like this or whatever blah 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 or like you know showing people why just the sheer importance of elven seer in a uh in in like a, a, a an alzer deck it's like well it creates three of those things right in one you know in one foul swoop or it allows you to to do some naughty stuff like right out of the box uh, you know off of uh like it that's part of the challenge is like being able to show the viewer something that's relevant but not too obvious and we got to do that for four decks times two players times four brackets plus like times two days and Mm -hmm. there are times like where where you and i will be like well there's just nothing to show like how many times are we going to show you gourd you know, like how many times right. do you have to tell people what Gord is or what? Usually, usually by the like uh, finals or the semifinals of day two, we're like out of unique things or things that we haven't already talked about. So then we'll either just, you know, show highlight fewer cards or just skip some lists altogether. But I think it is important to keep in mind that, like you said, there is a there's a lot more people who watch these things. Uh, the Gwent Open Gwent World Masters tournaments than there are typically on on Twitch watching Gwent. So it's a wide variety of uh, of skilled players uh, who are watching. So we need to make sure that yeah, like it's not too confusing for beginners, but also not too dull or bland for veterans. Yeah, and and that's why uh, you know when people when when we're out there explaining what zeal is, you know, we're not trying to we don't assume you're an idiot. But part of being a good broadcaster is understanding that the the audience spans more than just you, you know, like, you mm-hmm. know, like Rebecca from from Idaho or, you know, <laughs> Sebastian from the UK. Like we get it like the, the, there's more than just you two people who are watching it. And, you know, you have to be able to understand that somebody who's just tuning in, you know, you got to understand what the hell is going on. And and that's part of the challenge. And that's I guess that's a whole other broadcast is just us talking about what it takes to be a, a, a decent caster. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's 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 basically kind of how, how these things go. And then at the end of the day, I mean, what people also need to remember is the fact that we're on a 30 minute delay, right? So what you're mm-hmm. seeing has already occurred 30 minutes ago. And oftentimes we are in the chat after something happens, just watching it, but we cannot speak or use social media because if they see, like if, if they see game three and somebody's up 2-0 and then we're on social media saying oh what a great day obviously the the series is over and people can kind of surmise what happened but uh i mean when we you know shinmiri and i lead off we go first and then we're basically in the discord watching the games live through a live feed that you guys everyone else can't see 
and mm -hmm. we're just following along. We're just as gripped by the drama as everyone else's. We are just as interested. And that's what a lot of people I think don't realize is that, you know, we're, I don't say we're not, we're, we're working. I mean, you, you will be because you're an analyst. So you're going to be, you are the hardest working guy in cards right now is Shinmir. <laughs> yeah, double, double duty. Double dutying it. But we, we need to make sure that we're well aware of what occurs in all the matches because that that second quarterfinal that Shinmir and I will not be broadcasting, there might be a play or a matchup or something that occurs that w could be relevant in the semifinals the next day that uh, mm -hmm. Shinmir and I will be broadcasting. So it's uh, it's really, um it's two full days. Like we're there at, we're at yeah. it watching being very attentive for like what like 10 hours almost i mean w including rehearsals and all that other stuff it's easily 10 hours yeah it's definitely a lot a lot of time commitment a lot of work and energy involved with it but i'm i'm happy i really like doing it it's it's a dream job for oh, certainly and th the other thing again and i think i've told you this a million times is that every single time that i broadcast with you it would be at like this podcast or even any of the events i'm always just blown away by the the progress that that you have shown because you've always been a great person uh but i mean oh the, thank you well <laughs> I, yeah i guess i mean <laughs> from what i know uh but from from day one of challenger four in skellige to today i and i know that I've, I've said this to like i'll show you a screenshot so you know i'm not bsing you but like i tell mark after every podcast i'm like damn i'm like he just gets better and better and, and a lot a lot more free, freewheeling. And like, it's just, it's always awesome. And I think that everybody out there is lucky to have you as a broadcaster, man, because like, it's just, it's so good. I'm, I know how lucky I am because I, I have never wanted to be the brains to be leaned on when it comes to high level Gwent. Like I could, I could paint a pretty picture. You could do it. I, I think I, I don't think you should sell yourself short. I think you could definitely do it. You have impressed me many times before in terms of like your knowledge of the matchups and 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 uh, cards and things like that. So for sure, don't sell yourself short. What makes me laugh though is a lot of the times when those things happen, it's usually not because I'm like, oh, I've been in this situation and this is what I did. It's be it's mostly, oh yes, I've been in this situation and this is how this dude on the receiving end. Yeah, this is how this dude <laughs> absolutely just throttled me. It's so, it's like I guess, but part of it comes with with it's it's learning. If you're you're not yeah. losing, if you're learning, that's what I always say. Yeah, um, exactly. And and I also want to say, you know, I also think I'm very lucky to have you as a broadcast partner because I think our skills complement each other very well. And I'm more of like a straight shooter, really focused on the game itself and and the anal analysis and the potential lines of play. Whereas I think you you also I. I wouldn't want to be paired with someone who's also kind of like that. I would want someone like you who's, you know, more brings more charisma and character to the broadcast and maybe brings out the silly side of me a little bit. Because I can, I can be silly. I just need a little bit of a nudge. Yeah, you do. And sometimes I don't just nudge you. I literally just like I bear hug you. Shove you off the yeah. shove you off the cliff. I'm like, we're going, buddy. One parachute, both of us. Let's go. And <laughs> we're just out of the plane that way. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, it's, it's, um, these events always are the highlight of, of frankly, you, you and I, like our, our, not just our careers, I think, but frankly, just the fact that these are just fun to do, man. And like, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I will also say from CDPR side, <clears throat> you know, working with Berja, working with Vlad, Repek, uh, Kosi, uh, working with Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. yeah. 
these are just exquisitely awesome people and there's a lot of people that uh the the community are not aware of that do a lot of stuff in the background people like alicia people like uh even for a while like dominica uh versus wife um these are people who are kind of in the chat as moderator. I mean, Miss Lady J is a moderator in, in, in mm-hmm. CDPR chat, which is cool. And she does an excellent job and she's always, you know, keeping things on the straight and narrow, but also keeping it fun and, and whatnot. But um, like you and I are lucky that we get to, to work with these people. And then there's the the sort of the the extra pair of, of casters that we are always just impressed with every single time. Like, it's just great. It's so, so great. Um, yeah, that's 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 it. I mean, in terms of like kind of like pulling back the curtain, there's a lot of work that goes down. Like our 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 job when you know, like for instance, like this weekend is World Masters. Like we started asking questions and getting deck lists and looking at stuff. You know, uh, as soon as it comes in, like the deck list came in on Monday and we already looked at it. I mean, within probably 48 metric seconds, uh, Shinmiri had his uh, his Google Docs up, uh, his his Excel spreadsheet. His spreadsheet out of all the statistics of all the cards of this and that, of the archetypes and whatever. And it's like, God bless you, Shinmiri, because I just, <laughs> I like, you click through like, uh, you know, 16 or, or 24 links in like, you know, uh, or 32 links in like a half second and had everything up and ready to go. And I was like, oh, perfect. Okay, thank you. That's what you're here for. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, oh, I enjoy doing it for sure. And uh, also one one little behind the, uh, behind the curtains thing that I wanted to add, which is really cool and very wholesome, is that with these online tournaments, pretty much every one of them on day two, after everything has wrapped, uh, the broadcast team gets together on a discord video call and we just hang out and we just like have a good time. It's kind of like a, a, a wrap up where we just shoot the shit, laugh a little bit, joke around, watch the broadcast. And because we're on a 30 minute, 30 minute delay anyways. Right. So we kind of have a, a little bit of a watch party ourselves uh, between the casters, the analysts, uh, production, CDPR people. And so that's, that's always a nice highlight to the weekend. Yeah, this is usually where Vlad tells me what I should. I, I said that I should not say the next time. Mm. This is when you said this. Maybe you could say this instead. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, you know, Mountain Dew is actually one of our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they looked back. They're like, never sponsor anything this clown does ever. Um, also worth noting, uh, episode seven, the first episode uh, where somebody swore, and it wasn't me. It was Shinmiri. Oh. You said shoot. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Oh, shoot the shit. (laughs) Twice. Twice, ladies and gentlemen. We're not editing it out. It's not happening, but it's awesome. Maybe Mark Theus will bleep it out. Who knows? But uh, I just thought I thought I would be the first one to let it leak. Oh, here's a nice little piece, uh, ladies and gentlemen. After open number four, which was, I think, the last tournament we did, Mm -hmm. I casually asked Repek if what would I think it was what would happen if I said a swear word on well because all right so last event you were the one who dropped elven herpes i danced around it and you just came out guns blazing and i was just like you said it not me Mm -hmm. and that really again caught me off guard in in the very disarming shinwiri way that you do things and i happened to ask repek i said just out of curiosity what would happen if i did drop an f-bomb you know not like on purpose but like you know it's a nice little sprinkle on the cupcake. If I, if it came out, what would happen? He said, I don't think it matters that much. I said, really? So, <laughs> so maybe 
for Gwent Masters, we just bust it out for effect. I don't know. I'm still on the fence. Maybe I'll let it. Maybe that's going to be my Christmas gift to you, Shinmiri. I'll let you do it. Nah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It would have to be very, yeah, it would have to be a very specific kind of situation with context and stuff. Yes. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I would, yeah, I don't think I would do it just willy nilly. Yeah, you I know? guess. Like they say, like you can, you're allowed one f bomb per like PG thirteen movie. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's a broadcast. Like maybe we can spice it up. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. I, let's put it this way: if you missed uh, if you missed Gwent Masters and I'm not there for open number one in season four, you know why. That is precisely why. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, hopefully that gives everybody a little bit of insight in terms of at least from a perspective of these online things how they go. Uh, there's a lot of work that's put through, trust me. Um, whenever there's technical difficulties or things like that, I mean, when you're connecting two dozen people through, you know, a half dozen countries, it's not the easiest thing to do, but we make it work and it's beautiful and, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but we got the mailbag Shinmiri. It's coming around yeah. the corner. Awesome. So let's, uh, let's take a quick break and, uh, meet you at the mailbag. We're back with the mailbag portion where we get to answer your burning questions. First up this week is a Blunt Ballad on Reddit asks, Why does Gwent Masters use open deck lists? Wouldn't it be more exciting if the players didn't know their opponent's entire deck? What do you think, Flake? Well, okay, so this is um, a fascinating one because I know that there's a lot of tournaments that occur from the community base that don't use open deck lists. And yes, for entertainment value sometimes it's a lot more you know sparkly and cool the problem is is that this is a two-day event right so mm-hmm. there is they used to not do it for those who do not know day one of any particular event was not open deck list it did not occur however in technically day two wasn't open deck list either but what players used to do is the fact that on day one they basically just would look at the deck lists from the stream, screenshot it, print it out, and then bring it with them as notes. So there Mm -hmm. was no real way around it because that was not necessarily even against the rules. So what CDPR did was like, look, we're just going to save you guys all the trouble is we're just going to give you the deck lists in advance. And yes, yeah. For day two. For day two. But then they eventually amended that backwards and said, well, a lot of you are on the same team. A lot of you, you know, this blah, 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 blah. We don't want this advantage or that, or people sort of spying on each other and yada, yada, yada. So mm-hmm. um, eventually they just made it as an open deckless situation. And I, I get it. It does, I suppose, just sort of rob the event of the sort of flashback, like, you know, the, the, the shock and awe value. But again, on a two-day event, the shock and awe value is already dissipated on day two anyways. And I get that yeah. there's a little bit of shock anyway, you know, on day one. But, you know, part of the, the whole thing is like, you know, the, you, what, what we're losing versus what we're gaining is we're gaining very, very high-end gameplay from the top players. And what we're losing is uh somebody forgetting to play around a random igni and we see like a a a 30 point igni that might win a round but not the game so i i i think that it's always best in these cases to plab the the open deck list but what we also need to 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 understand is the fact that 
it's it's only open decklist after people submit their decklist, so they don't know what necessarily they're building their decks around either. So right. it's that's also something to consider as well. Yeah, and I think I totally agree with you. Open decklists allow for much higher level gameplay and being able to play around uh, certain things. Like you know your opponent only has this these sort of answers, so if you're able to bait one of them, then your other things can you can maybe greed some of your other threats and engines like you know, Gerhard or um, just any any sort of, you know, freak show, these sort of things, right? So um, I think that open deck lists are more, are more interesting, especially from a player's perspective. I know, um, I think that at one point they might have asked the players as well, but and like pretty much every pl- pro player said they want open deck lists. Uh, it's just, it's not that good much of a test of skill to you know uh you take a risk that is there is there a yurden okay well if there's a yurden then i guess i lose but i can't really afford to play around it because it's too too much to sacrifice to play around a potential random yurden yeah uh it would make for like i it's some like when you have open deck list you're playing your deck optimally and you're, you know, you're you're sort of skirting around uh, known threats, but you're you do not have to, you don't have to worry about a lacerate, so to speak. You know, you don't have to worry about uh, a tavern brawl, like those really. I don't want to call them niche cards, but those very punishing cards that can be easily played around that are such ladder. You know, they make for great ladder moments. They make for great Reddit posts of mm-hmm. oh you know like oh i just dueled a, a a 24 into a 15 and it was ridiculous it's like okay that's cool i got it but like ultimately uh open deck lists uh, basically they they support the skill level at which the game is being played right now uh, in this tournament which is the top eight players in the world and i'm okay with it frankly yeah i'm okay with it too and and yeah, it's just logistically it wouldn't work to have closed deck lists for more than the first round anyways. Right. So it just makes more sense to have open deck lists the entire way. All right, next question is from Baja Epic, also on Reddit, asking, what do you think of a leader ability that was no ability or was a had a negative effect but had a lot of provision space? So what I'm thinking here is like you have something like assimilate uh, or double cross, which is like what fifteen or sixteen provisions. Mm-hmm. What if there was just no leader ability, but it was like twenty five provisions? That's just I'm just spitballing here. So a lot of space, but no inherent, no passive ability, no no nothing. Yeah, just nothing. Just nothing. And I was thinking about this a little bit when I read this one, and I thought, well, what is the typical leader ability worth? It's usually worth between eight and twelve points, unless you're you're kind of high rolling something off of a, a double cross, or you have an exceptional synergistic value. Like yeah. let's say let's say you're like if it's reckless flurry with like dagger on the board or something, like then you'll get a lot more value. But that's coupling up with another card. So you'd have to think that the amount of provision space that it would open up would be the equivalent to about ten points, let's say on average. So if you're giving ten points of provision which is what seven provision uh sorry 10 points of value which is like what seven provisions and you're basically walking into a deck with seven additional provisions seven to eight additional provisions we'll say that you can spread around other things and frankly at the end of the day it's like all right so it kind of turns it turns a bronze card into like a 
uh, like a, a 10 or 11 or plus point gold card. And ultimately, I think that it wouldn't even be that efficient if you didn't have a deck that would allow you to ag- to aggressively access all the big cards that you need. So mm-hmm. I think it would be, I don't, I honestly don't think it would be that competitive, frankly. So yeah, one thing that, yeah, I agree that you, you would need a, lot, a deck with a lot of thinning in order to basically uh, have a really high chance to play all the provisions in your deck because decks that don't thin that much, they leave a lot of provisions in the deck, right? Mm-hmm. The other big thing about having no leader but higher provision cards on average is that the leader is carryover. The leader is like an extra card. And maybe in a 10-card round three, you know, the leader can be offset by extra provisions. But in a three-card round three, the leader... Having a leader and having no leader is not ever really going to get offset by having extra provisions. Like, you're going to go into a, a, a short round three where one player has a leader and like three nine provision cards, and you have no leader, but you have like two ten provision cards and eleven provision cards. That's not going to. It's probably not going to go well in your favor, right? Yeah. With something like that. The other thing is like the leader ability allows you to play a card and have another move that you can couple up with it. How many yep. times do you wish that you can put two pieces together? Like that's why inspired zeal is so important because otherwise you'd have to play like what are those siege dudes, the ones that give zeal? I forgot the siege name. support. Siege yeah, support uh, to give a card zeal. You you have to set up the turn. But when reality that, you know, having a leader ability is more so than just the points that it represents. It's more so the ability and the access you have to abilities uh, that they they allow. For instance, the combo, yeah, the, Un- uninterruptible combos, like like you said, inspired seal. Yes. Safety as well. Control as well. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, imprisonment or reckless flurry. Those mm-hmm. uh, are ways to develop board plus control your opponent. And, um, I mean, even just putting down a Homodryad and using uh, a Nature's Gift charge on it to put it yeah. out of five five damage range. Like, that Same. in itself is is mm-hmm. quite important. It's huge. Like, like Crow Clan Preacher in Alchemy with Battle Trance, you can play a Preacher and then immediately use your leader to trigger the Alchemy Bonded so they boost from four to six or even play the Marjoram on the Preacher itself and it goes to, like, 12 or something or more. Um, it's just... A lot of protection, a lot of combos uh, that you can that you can do with your leader. That, like, if a preacher survives versus dying in an average round, that could be worth like an extra ten points. Yes. So, uh, I guess to answer your question, what would I think of uh, something like that? I think that it would the amount of provision space you would need. It would have to be like a legitimately like enormous. A ten, yeah, like a ten to twelve extra provisions. And you would have to build a deck that is basically purely cycle, 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 thin, 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 so that you're busting out, like your your round three could be like 12 provision, 11 provision, 12 provision, 10 provision, 10 provision. Like you just want to be busting out card after card after card. Uh, but fascinating question. And uh, yeah. I, I don't think, yeah, I think that, you know, depending on the numbers, depending on the balancing, it could maybe work in the future. It could be an option. Uh, it would just require a lot of testing and balance. Oh, what if there was a card that came out that said, 
your your leader ability uh, is disabled, but you you're allowed. You, but you know uh, this card. But it's under costed like crazy. What? Like, oh, it, oh yeah. how about this? Right? What if there was a a twelve point gold that was zero provisions, uh-huh. and it yeah. said if this is in your starting deck, your leader ability is disabled. It's the lockdown counter. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't touch me. I've locked myself out. You can't fire me. I fired myself. Yeah, I quit. <laughs> well, that's a fascinating card design. All right. Uh, there you go, Renfree guy. That's a free one for you. Um, all right. Next question, Shinmiri. Uh, from Hunter Bad Warlock Good on Reddit. Which faction has changed the most throughout the years? Uh, that is a that is a Hearthstone reference, I believe. Hunter Bad. Yeah, yeah. Face Hunter versus uh versus Handlock. That's what I'm thinking. This is originates from. Uh, okay. Uh which faction has changed the most throughout the years? I feel like Northern Realms has kind of been a little bit of a bastard child of Gwent for a long time, where it hasn't necessarily found its footing. Uh, now with all the orders abilities, but it kind of went through like a self buff, you know, uh, you know, self buffing uh, engine style list to now it's an orders based faction. But then it's kind now it's kind of like mage centric as well. I feel like that has sort of lost its footing. And the other one that really comes to mind is uh, is Nilfgaard. Like Nilfgaard used to be um, about it used to kind of be about spies and soldiers. And now it seems to be more about this, you know, like not alchemy, but I don't like like again mages and uh, and uh, assimilation and and this kind of like Borg esque kind of thing where it's just this mass kind of onslaught of cloning of your opponent's cards. So. <laughs> Uh, I th- I would say those two because everything else kind of feels the same, even though it might not be as powerful. We still get monsters with like frost and big boys. We still have Scoia'tael with elves and swarm and traps and stuff like that and movement. Um, and what am I missing? I guess uh, syndicate. Syndicate. Skel- yeah, Skellige feels like the most consistent over time. Frankly. Hmm. I would also say Northern Realms has changed the most throughout the years. Um, it's gotten those the, the charges rework into cooldowns, right? It's Northern Realms at the beginning was a really engine heavy deck. It was like the faction that played one engine a turn, and if you could answer it, then they would try to play another one, and then if you could answer that one, they would try to play another one. Um, and it was a faction that didn't really touch the other side of the board that much at first. It was very proactive engine based. Um, but nowadays, I feel like it's got a lot more control tools and removal tools as well. It still does play some of the engine stuff, but uh, yeah, I'd say Northern Realms has, has changed a lot over the years. Maybe Northern Realms is just a faction that doesn't lean into what its, what its identity wants to be as hard as, as the others. I mean, I could definitely be wrong about that, but like you mentioned, it used to be, it's like, okay, play Tamari Drummer, put it next to the Trident Infantry, put Anna between them, and then just walk away and watch your opponent try to do math to catch up. But <laughs> that's no longer no longer the case. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm still thinking back to, 
beta with, with the passive abilities and that kind of stuff where it was, you know, like the passive abilities to me seemed like the biggest indication of what faction identity kind of was. Like monsters would stick around and, uh, you know, there'd be like the, the gold boost on on Northern Realms and the mulligan kind of interesting sort of espionage mulliganing of Nilfgaard and yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, the game's changed a lot, but you're right. I, I, I agree. I think Northern Realms definitely is just kind of the most wishy-washy over the years. <sighs> One more, shall we? Uh, yeah, you go for it. All right, here we go. This one's from Big Broke Ape via Reddit, asking, what cards from Price of, uh, Price of Power did you completely underrate uh, or which card surpassed your expectations? Um, that's a good question because this has been quite an impactful mm -hmm. expansion. Yes, for sure. Um, so I got a couple that are on my mind in terms of cards that people, including myself, underrated and then went on to overperform those expectations. I think Orb of Insight was a really big one. Everybody, when like, I feel like almost everybody that I read or talked to thought Orb of Insight was going to be kind of meh and not really much of a game changer for Scoia'tael. Because on paper, it's like an eight for six, you know, and it's slow. But there's so the, the card is so nuanced. There's so many moving parts to it and synergies with it. It's um, It's got carryover synergy. It has great synergy with Elven Seer being able to copy it. It plays multiple specials, uh, you know, in one card, which is great for Gord, especially when Gord was uncapped. It was crazy. That was the card that took Gord from like a 15 to like a 25. Yeah, basically. Th that's the reason why Gord got its change, frankly. Yeah. It's this new, newfound way of recurring all these spells. And like, so, like the, the old school way of playing Gord was like, okay, we'll play the echo spells because that's like doubles them up. We'll play the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the units that generate spells like Avalok. That'll boost Gord up. And if you're lucky, maybe your Gord comes out as like a 16 or a 17 and you feel, yeah. like, a, you feel like a boss. But then 20, 20 to 24 point gourds were just standard run of the mill. Like that was the way to go. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the biggest thing yet is that you can like you can kind of queue up a three or up to three orbs in your graveyard with counters one, two, three, and then like play a special into Alzer or play a special into Whisperer. And you would just turn a card that was originally like a really slow, vulnerable card that just dies to damage or removal. And, and turn it into something that immediately triggers all of its synergies with the orbs playing three specials or spells from your graveyard in one turn. I got to say that I thought that Simlas was not going to be that big of a deal uh, until you realize how powerful something like Bountiful Harvest is and mm -hmm. the generation of units on the board, like the major threat style ones, like your your Sorceress or your Whisperer, where now you're 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 presenting your opponent not just the generated you know treance that you may have get from symbiosis, but also the fact that here's two more threats that you got to deal with, and if you don't, it's gonna really hurt because this is gonna really run you out of town if you let it go. Um, but I, I gotta say that from this set, the biggest card that I thought was going to absolutely just run the table was she who knows. Um, mm. I thought that that card was going to be the biggest target for people's ire 
forever because in my opinion i thought that and like the card did have an impact but it wasn't the biggest deal i find it was less of a big deal than mamuna it was less than a big deal than bloody bloody mistress uh Mm. it was frankly the third third in line of a very powerful relic deck that you're like geez like I, like it was still probably problematic for some people and annoying to deal with, but a lot of people had that was so far down the laundry list of complaints in relation to everything else. But I thought that that card in a deck that is meant to just slam points in a methodical way, that if you got red coin and your opponent decided to just go after you uh, or, or to commit to a round, you had a basically a, a green light to just go all in and not be punished at all. Like I thought that that card was going to be so, so impactful. And it wasn't even the, the biggest, it wasn't even the third biggest problem of that, that run of sets because it was like Mamuna, Bloody Mistress, Witch Apprentice. There's so many uh, uh, self eater. There are so many other cards that needed uh, uh, to be addressed before that card, and that card just didn't even get touched. And I, so I was way off on that. Yeah, I mean, I remember being a little bit annoyed at the card in some games, where especially where the monster player has red coin going second, and they just like wait until you pass to play their she who knows, so that you can't lock it, you can't, you know, heat wave it or or do anything about it and they get that carryover but it's like a very red i feel like it's a very red coin favorable card red coin abuse type card which doesn't feel great to me because it feels you can't really you can't control what coin you get right so it's just like oh you're unlucky because you're you're blue coin against somebody who's playing she who knows and then they get this really safe carryover, and then they push you in round two, get the Sabbath again, and potentially get more, even more carryover for free. Yeah, and and there was always this, this strategy. Like whenever I would play that list, and I was running She Who Knows, it was like, okay, well, all I got to do is be within within uh, you know nine points of you, so that I can jam mm-hmm. my ten point. Like when you pass, I play my ten points, I win the round. You can't touch me. Like yeah, that maybe would, even more if you've got like self eater or larva. Exactly. Like that, or and then thrive. you got and then you just realize the absolute reach you have because you also have the t- the ticking engines of the witch's apprentice. You might have some larvae on the board. Uh, you might have the self eaters as well. You might have um, was it rat catcheress the one that grew, yeah yeah yep. there there was an immense amount of ways for you to just punish your opponent and if and the worst part about it is that your opponent may be carrying uh, a lock a heat wave a yen's invocation an answer in any way shape or form and they can't do anything because if you got red coin baby it is just green light just and and that's the beauty of monsters the monsters doesn't really have a strategy that they're holding on to to for for a round three other than like an Osril or something but even yeah. then it's just like they're like screw it i'm playing everything i'm playing everything. a lot of, yeah monsters is a lot of time has a lot has a, a ton of cards that they can just commit in round one that they're not too sad about that they need to save for example like skellige has a bunch of resurrection cards they might not be able to play uh so on and, and like Nilfgaard has you know terra nova that needs a lot of setup or even like a Yoakim, you don't want to blindly Yoakim in round one and end up overcommitting on your win conditions or getting like a mage assassin if you haven't thinned that yet. Yeah. 
Um, but ultimately, I guess I'm like, I'm trying to think of like, what have I, I think that's the biggest overreact, not overreaction, but that's the biggest oversell I think I've had was on mm -hmm. that. And in terms of under, underselling, it's, it has to be Simlas. I just never thought that Simlas was really going to be like, I understood oh. the point of it. I understood that it was just yeah. another, but to me, I thought it was just, I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a deck that wants to like, feed Gord. Like that's all it is. Yeah. Some it's, it's, I think I had the same thing, like same reaction. I felt like when I first saw Simulus, I was like, okay, I mean, it's a good card for some decks, but it turned out to be like an auto include card for, for Scoia'tael, which was definitely better than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, is actually full of cards that overperformed my expectations at first, I thought Philavandrel at 12 provisions was just going to be like super garbage. And that it, it sounds like a sorceress of Doblathana on uh, for on deploy, but for, you know, seven or five, seven or six provisions more. Um, well, that's what but, it is. Is it not? Like, that's almost exactly what it is. Well, but yeah. sorceress of Doblathana can only play bronzes. Right. Philavandrel, I think what really makes Philavandrel potentially good is that it can play Isengrim's Council at eight provisions and Call of the Forest at ten provisions. Yes. That's what makes it good because it can tutor, it can find things, win conditions, golds that you're missing, and it it's a unit that plays a Scoia'tael, uh, a nature card, so it like works really well with Ethne and Symbiosis. And you can have it as a really, really powerful short-round play without having to worry about, like, oh, is my Sorcerer's going to get locked or answered or something. I just, uh, I just, I, I cut that card for Gezras. Like in this particular season, like uh -huh. I got close to twenty five hundred. Like just uh, so. Sidebar here, by the way. Mm -hmm. While I was on vacation, played like some of the best Gwent of my life. Where I like, yeah. I, and then like when I'm not on stream, when I'm literally, it was like nine a.m. I'm at my par uh, my buddy's place. I'm sitting on the couch with a coffee. There, everyone's still sleeping. And I'm just like firing up some Gwent on my iPad and I just like rattling off like these s disgusting wind streaks. I'm like, I should just do this privately like more often. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is true. It's much, much harder to play well on stream than off stream. But that is a topic for another day, I think. I think that's a great topic for another day. Yeah. But uh, I think this has been another great episode, Shibir. I know that you and I are going to be uh, hooking up again on thursday for rehearsals today is being tuesday november 30th last day of the month uh mm -hmm. wow but yeah already man it's almost december and i'm really i have no idea what to get you for christmas but we'll figure oh. it out we'll, we'll do a poll maybe i'll figure something out i'll uh get that sorted out but uh yeah man i'm excited for this weekend same i'm always excited to cast and watch and be a part of these tournaments uh there's gonna be some good stuff and yeah um it's gonna be a roadmap as well from CDPR mm -hmm. in terms of the future, uh, what's coming up in 2022 for Gwent. So make sure you guys check it out and tune in. Yeah, here's the first leak that you'll get is that there is a season four of Gwent Masters. So don't even worry about that. That I'm pretty sure is uh, already out there in the ether. But you guys are going to see a lot of cool stuff this weekend. You're going to see Shinmiri and I. You're going to see Specy on the analyst desk with you as well. Hell yeah. That's going to be pretty cool. So uh, it's going to be awesome. Leah and Thionheart are going to be there. I'm digging into that one, I told you. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what they're called. But yeah, friends, again, Shinmiri, I'm going to end this like I normally does, which is saying I love you, man. I love you too, Flake. 
All right, friends. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening again. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on the Gwentfinity YouTube channel, on Spotify, Google Play, uh, Apple Play, uh, Coldplay. I don't know what else. Just uh, give us a nice favorable review. That's the best way that, uh, hey, we might even get a sponsor. But don't forget, friends, you're not losing. If you're learning, keep playing cards. You might win. We'll catch you next week. See you later. See you.